0: By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter.
1: Hi, I'm Toby Young, one of Quillette's London-based editors. Six months ago, a Catholic journalist called Caroline Farrow appeared on a British breakfast TV show in which she debated Susie Green, the CEO of Mermaids, one of the UK's most outspoken trans lobby groups. This set off a chain of events that eventually led to Caroline being investigated by the police for misgendering Susie's daughter, Jackie, a natal male who underwent sexual reassignment surgery in Thailand at the age of 16. I spoke to Caroline at the offices of The Spectator in London. She began by telling me what the breakfast TV debate was all about.
2: Well, the discussion was about girl guides. So there had been some controversy about girl guiding policy which had been changed to accommodate the new transgender world in which we live. And the new guiding policy states that boys who now consider themselves girls... Will be admitted into the guides. They will be allowed on overnight trips. They'll be allowed to share tents uh, and washing and changing facilities with girls, and crucially, the parents of uh, the girls who may be on this trip won't be informed because it's deemed to be uh, none of their business. So, uh, if you've got a teenage girl or, or you know a guide or a brownie or a rainbow, if you take them on a camping trip, then they could be sharing uh, their tents with with a boy with a male body who identifies as being a girl, and you, as a parent. ...would have no right to be informed of that. And it prompted uh, some girl-guiding leaders... Uh, ...Helen Watts of Ealing, she, she left... ...and she created you know, quite a fuss about this... ...because she said, look, this is a real safeguarding issue here. So we were going on Good Morning Britain to discuss this issue... And they wanted me to take the line of a mum who won't let her ch- children join guides as a result. And this is actually true because my eldest daughter had been in uh, rainbows and brownies and my other uh, daughters have been uh, agitating to join. And because of this policy, I won't let them.
1: Okay. And after that discussion, you then wrote some tweets and you're not sure exactly what you said because very sensibly, you've got one of those programmes that deletes all your tweets two weeks after you've composed them. So how many weeks or months after appearing on that discussion programme were you then contacted by the police?
2: About almost six months. So I appeared on the programme on the 25th of September. I didn't actually write the tweets until the 4th or 5th of October, and they were entirely separate to the discussion. Okay. And they weren't uh, copied in to Susie Green. I was talking so you about didn't tag her. Susie Green no, at I all. didn't tag her in. I was talking about her and her advocacy, uh, as opposed to actually, you know, calling calling her names or being rude to her directly. Um, so they were on the fourth of October, and then the pr- police contacted me. Uh, what was it on the nineteenth or twentieth of March? So almost six months later, and they rang me up. Uh, I left a message and said, we need to talk to you about some tweets that were sent. Uh, And immediately I began to panic uh, and think, gosh, what's going on here? Oh no, what have I said? Because normally I try and be pretty circumspect. I don't misgender. I do try and use the right pronouns because I know how officious uh, Twitter is being about deleting accounts and and, and is deleting and suspending accounts for the most trivial of offences so I've been very careful not to fall foul of those uh, rules so I couldn't quite imagine what it is I'd done and I said to my husband gosh they want to talk to me about some tweets that were sent and he said oh you know it's going to be about this trans stuff you know that there's a a team of lobbyists trying to get you and they've obviously found something haven't they?
1: your husband said there was a team of lobbyists trying to get you had you already effectively established yourself as as a, a, a critic of trans orthodoxy
2: oh absolutely so I've been writing pieces about this uh, for a couple of years now I, I wrote a piece uh, in the Conservative Woman that really incensed a, a lot of the trans lobby when um, Paris Lees appeared on the front cover of Vogue as a suffragette uh, which really And
1: Paris Lees is a trans a Paris, woman. Yeah.
2: That's right. Um, So, yes, I had been a prominent critic. I had only been on the television a week earlier, ironically saying that my Twitter feed and my social media feed is scoured on, on a regular basis for people looking for things they can either report me to the police to... Or to Twitter to and to you know to get me banned and suspended because we were talking about tolerance and whether or not gender critical feminists are allowed to, to say you know basic their basic beliefs, whether they can state their basic beliefs on Twitter. And so many of them have been banned and suspended simply for saying the most innocuous and actually inoffensive things. So it was ironic, you know, two weeks after going on the BBC to say that my Twitter account is being scoured, uh, you know, for something to report to the police. I then found myself being wrung by them.
1: When this, when you called back this uh, policewoman, what did she say?
2: She said, following an appearance with Susie Green on Good Morning Britain, you sent a series of tweets to uh, Susie Green which misgendered her daughter. And I was racking my brains. I couldn't think what I had said. I knew that I had criticised Susie Green's decision to take her son, to thailand to have a sex reassignment surgery because i think it is a profoundly shocking thing that she did and she uses her child as advocacy and i did describe her child as a son because in my mind if you're having an operation to have your testicles removed and your penis inverted uh you know it's i can't actually bring myself to call you a girl when you're talking about male organs and and, I don't even know if it was a deliberate. It was just in my mind. You've got penis and you've got testicles. You're a boy, and I was thinking, "Gosh, is this really what I'm going to be questioned for?" Uh, And then,
1: Did, did you did you challenge the idea that misgendering was actually a crime? It sounds like the police officer took it for granted that it was a crime and they were investigating whether you'd committed that crime.
2: Absolutely. And I I said to her, what crime is it that I'm supposed to have committed? Because I thought I'd nail it there and then, so I knew. And she said, malicious communications. I sat in front of my computer and I quickly wickied it. And I read out the provisions of the... um, malicious communications act which was you know posting something that's obscene indecent grossly offensive something that you know isn't true uh, and with the purpose of causing upset you know to cause anxiety so i went through these provisos and i said well I, i've not i've ne- not met any of these provisos uh and, and i said and the other thing is you know i I'm a, I'm a Catholic commentator. I'm fairly well known. This country is in the middle of a discussion uh, about the transgender in- issue, about what it means to be male, what it means to be female, and I've been contributing to that conversation in a professional capacity. And because I was beginning to panic, because I was, you know, sort of a taped interview, I said, "Well, you know, and this is this is my religious belief uh, as a Catholic, and you know, and this is protected under Articles Nine and Ten of the European Convention on Human Rights. Actually, you know, my belief is not." Limited to being a purely Catholic one, it's one that's based in science and evidence. Um, But at the time, I just thought, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd I'd pull that card, and it turns out that the, you know, the the freedom of belief in the European Convention of Human Rights isn't explicitly, or isn't limited to religion. You know, so um, I didn't need to pull that. But, you know, I thought, right, I'll try my minority card too.
1: This police officer then went on to. threaten you effectively isn't that right
2: that's right so uh, she said you will need you'll need a solicitor uh, let me book you in a duty solicitor and i thought no because I know that a duty solicitor... usually and that's a
1: public defender for... That's right. We call pe- public defenders.
2: Public defender that's paid for you know by the public purse that everybody's entitled to get. But the duty solicitor is attached to a particular police station and has links with that force, usually. And I didn't want to accept that because I thought that they would put pressure on me to accept a caution, which is an admission that you've done something wrong, in order to sort of wrap it up quickly.
1: And just, just to put this in context, if you are cautioned by the British police. One of the inconveniences is that if you want to visit the United States, you can't apply under the visa waiver programme. You have to actually be interviewed by an embassy official here in the U.S. Embassy in London, so it's it's no small thing. To no, be
2: no, and also yes. So it would have affected any travel to America that I do. The other thing is that I do uh, volunteering with the church. My husband is a Catholic priest. Um, I wouldn't have passed any. DB, the welfare check that we have the mm-hmm. DBS check to check that you've got a criminal record and you're safe to work with children and the vulnerable, uh, that would have meant all the things that I do with the church would have gone by the wayside and potentially even uh, my husband could have been removed from, from ministry if he was deemed to sort of have this wife with, 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 a, with a criminal record so I thought I'm not going to accept a caution, I know I've done nothing wrong so I, I just said to her no, I'll, I'll book my own solicitor, thanks And she said, well, you're going to need a solicitor. And I said, yes, and I'll I'll book one. She said, no, no, let me book you one now. And I felt I was being really browbeaten to accept their solicitor. And then she said to me, and if you don't uh, turn up to the interview, then a summons can be issued for your arrest. Which really sort of knocked me off my feet because I wasn't even implying that I wouldn't go. There I was, you know, two minutes ago I'm being told that I've got to come in for a taped interview under caution, that the Crown Prosecution Service have suggested it. And then, you know, then she's saying, well, if you don't come, you're going to be arrested. And I'm still trying to get my head around it. So I just said to her, look, actually, I'm feeling quite alarmed and distressed. I feel as though you're being used, uh, you know, as a, as a tool to harass me by the person making this complaint. Um, I will find my own solicitor, and she said, oh, okay, okay, uh, we'll call you back, and, and that was obviously enough. But, you know, it's fortunate that I have enough knowledge of the law to be able to uh, know what to say, and to deal with it.
1: And after this, you then went public with the story, effectively, you tweeted about it, and, uh, and it was then followed up by various newspapers.
2: That's right. Because I did say to her, and I said to her, you know, I'm not threatening you. However, I am quite a well-known journalist. And you realise there's going to be quite a lot of press about this. Um, And it wasn't as a threat, but just, you know, are you sure you've absolutely got this right? Mm -hmm. And, And she said, well, we're not going to talk to the press about it. And I thought, no, I'm sure you're not. I didn't know whether or not it was legal to go onto Twitter, but she hadn't told me that I hadn't. So I thought, no, I'm actually going to explain what's happened, that I have to be interviewed under caution for something that I don't know what I've said, which supposedly is all about using the wrong pronouns. You know, it just... It really... really, The injustice of it really got to me, particularly as at the same time I'd been subject to... A prolonged campaign, which is still going on, of of harassment, which had involved outing my husband's private mobile number and email address and my private numbers and email addresses.
1: So didn't this count as malicious communication? Yeah,
2: and the police interviewed the suspect. They knew very well who the suspect was because he had started off on a blog under his own name. Uh, And then he had transferred it to, after this was pulled four times, he transferred it to a different blog and hosted it in Iceland. But it was the same language, the same material. And the police said that there wasn't enough evidence, and in order to get the evidence, they would have to do forensic IT, you know, seize his computer and his phone, and they just weren't prepared to do that. Even though my family had been absent. I mean, in one post, he talked about throwing out whether or not he'd disfigure my face with acid or disfigure my children's face with acid um you know and he was laughing when i got really upset that he posted that he was three minutes walk away from our house with photos he was saying oh you just won't stop screeching and wailing and oh yeah and crucially he said you need to give if you want me to stop doing this you need to give a thousand pounds to stonewall which is the leading lgbt charity and every time you screech and wail that you're not going to we will up the demand um you know it's a he was acknowledging i was distressed and upset and carrying on and the police at the same time it seems that the police were investigating this they were also investigating uh, whether or not i'd misgendered and at one point when i was pushing the police to say look this is intolerable for my family he's posting 50 blog posts a day calling me a you know a see you next tuesday and he um, the policeman said to me well have you been discussing transgender issues on the internet <laughs> it's just- like, it was, you know, the internet equivalent of wearing a short skirt, you know?
1: When you went public about this, when you tweeted about the fact that you'd received this phone call from, what, Surrey Police? Surrey please, yeah. Yeah. Susie Green then dropped the complaint, or had she dropped the complaint earlier than this?
2: No, she hadn't. So a press backlash started, um, I think partly because people just saw this for the nonsense that it was not a free speech issue. And, you know, journalists don't like it when you go after one of their own. And then eventually, on Thursday, they rang me and said... (laughs) It was Thursday of last week. (laughs) Yeah. And they said, oh, we're taking no further action. And there was a sort of mind how you go. Be more careful next time. And I said, no, (laughs) you know, unless you can give me advice as to how to be more careful. Um, You know, this was... I was giving an opinion about a public figure who was influencing public policy. So you know i every single day i have somebody on twitter call me a revolting name or you know or just be incredibly rude and upsetting you know when i go on tv people tell me how ugly i look um or they tell me i'm just not very nice and i'm really horrible and i'm you know and quite often my feelings get hurt i don't phone the police because somebody is with malicious intent because you know that's just what i find quite still quite disturbing about this the police wanted to find out my intent mm-hmm. in in sending the the tweets and every day people on twitter saying nasty things designed to upset you you mm-hmm. know that that's kind of part of the cut and thrust of it police should only really get involved and i think there's a case for an independent ombudsman where there in my case is something like prolonged harassment which affects your family and your children and your family members um, and, and, and is designed to affect your real life. You know, my husband doesn't have a social media profile yet he found himself targeted. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that the police should never be involved. Clearly the internet can be used as a tool of harassment but in, when it's just sort of hurt feelings mm. then a no.
1: Mm. I mean, I suppose you would expect the police to distinguish between trolls who say spiteful things, who tag particular individuals and tweet about them repeatedly and say unpleasant, malicious, false things about them, you know, over a long period of time. You can see why that would count as malicious communication. But there's a big difference between trolling of that nature and just uh, expressing your point of view as either a Catholic or a gender-critical feminist... That you don't accept that trans women are women, or vice versa, and to put those two things in the same basket is just ridiculous. Um, and it effectively inhibits the freedom of people like you to express what should, what is, you know, a perfectly legitimate point of view in what, as you say, is a national ongoing conversation.
2: And and the thing is as well, I mean, it's interesting because you talk about the trolls who. Uh, Target people day after day after day. You know, I've got a a basket of those mm-hmm. who have for years you know it's, it's it's incredible really they've got an entire twitter feed devoted to hating on me and you know there's one woman who has written to every single employer every time i write for someone else she writes to them and tell them what a terrible person i am and, and why they should stay stay steer well clear of me and and this is documented evidence uh, and I, I took this to the police and they, they did nothing about it mm-hmm. so the police are quite selective um about this and you know actually it impinges on people's ability to work because every time if you're freelance and you get a new employer and you you have people sort of piling on you and now you know i just say to people look you're probably going to get my my (laughs) troll army and they just you know they laugh actually they know that this is sort of what comes it's part and parcel of, of, of being in the public eye um but i mean i understand the things i wrote about susie green uh, she thought were spiteful and malicious because they were about her child. But the thing is, she has gone very public about her child's journey. She got a, a BBC documentary um, and she's done TED Talks and she frequently references her child. when and her child isn't a child. No, longer. who's 25. When she's advocating for children as young as 9, 10, 11... Uh, to be on puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. She said something quite astonishing in October. She said that surgery uh, shouldn't be performed according to a majority of age, but on competency. And then she went on to say that uh, there should be no psychological assessment for people wanting um, you know, sex reassignment surgery. So I was thinking, well, how on earth can you assess competency in a child if at the same time you're um, scrapping uh, psychological assessments? And for me, what happens to, uh, during sex reassignment surgery is incredibly brutal. And I don't believe that uh, a teenager can consent to it.
1: One of the reasons I think this is clearly a free speech issue Um, is the point that Jordan Peterson made in 2016 when he made some videos about Bill C-16, which uh, proposed changing the law in Canada uh, to make gender identity uh, a protected category. And um, he made the point that if it becomes a criminal offence to misgender someone, that's different in kind to prohibiting the use of certain offensive words because it's not just saying you can't use these particular words about these particular people. It's compelling you to use particular words when discussing particular people. Uh, And the problem for Catholics and gender-critical feminists and people who might not belong to either of those categories but are just sceptical about trans dogma... Is that if you use those particular words, um, you are effectively endorsing a point of view, a belief system that you don't share. So it's a, it's like the the state compelling you to embrace a particular belief system, which it's no business of the of the state to do. How did you feel about the prospect of being threatened with prosecution if you know if you were interviewed under caution? You were presumably you would have been told not to do it again and warned that if you did do it again, the consequences could be much more severe. Um, how would you have felt about that? Would you have, would you have effectively in future avoided misgendering people uh, because of this threat of you know, a custodial sentence, even though it would have been effectively expressing a belief that, that you don't have?
2: No well I had talked to my husband about this a few months ago and I said to him we had a serious discussion and I said to him I would actually be prepared to go to prison for this I said this is the hill on which I die and and obviously I don't want to go to prison and you know one of the things this week that this has kind of brought into clarity for me you know the thought of being in prison and away from my children <laughs> was was terrifying and really you know I can't begin to describe uh, how upsetting uh, that thought would be but and I was talking to my my daughter was 15 yesterday my eldest daughter I was talking to her about it and and, you know what does she think and 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 she was she she burst into tears at the idea that I might go to prison and I said well in this instance it's quite unlikely but then we had a, a bigger discussion and I said actually darling it seems really harsh, but if I did, I would be doing it for your freedom and, you know, your siblings' freedoms and for, for the freedom of your generation because nobody must ever uh, compel us what to say and what to think.
1: What about the, I mean, the argument that tr- a trans activist would make, which is that, OK, it may well be that if you misgender a trans woman... You're not doing it out of spite. You're not doing it in order to inflict psychological harm on them. There's no malice. It is just a legitimate expression of your point of view. Nonetheless, the effect of that misgendering on a trans woman could be so traumatic, so psychologically harmful, whether intended to be or not, It could even prompt them to commit suicide. Don't they deserve vulnerable people who are in a great deal of pain and who've suffered persecution throughout their lives? Don't they deserve to be protected from hearing words being described in particular ways which could tip them over the edge into suicide?
2: Well, I think we have to be very careful when we're talking about suicide because... There's never any one factor. And do any of us have the right not to hear something that's going to tip us over the edge in, in, into suicidal depression? When I'm pregnant, uh, I always suffer greatly from antenatal depression. Um, and, you know, sometimes we never know what each other's triggers are, do we? Um, so I think we have to be quite careful about legislating, because where does it stop? Where does it stop? If we say, OK, well, this might be a tra- trigger for trans people. We can't live life uh, on eggshells. But well, what we can do is treat people... You know, no-one's claiming that trans women and trans men don't have innate human dignity. So we, we need to treat people with, with human dignity and not be abusive. But at the same time, we need to strike a balance of, of protecting everybody's uh, rights and freedoms mm-hmm. of speech and expression. And I, I don't think we've quite got that at the moment.
1: It sounds like even though this police officer who called you um, thought she was on quite firm ground, it sounds like when you challenged her, she uh, retreated a little bit. And then the fact that the police then dropped, didn't follow it, they decided to drop the charges against you when Susie Green withdrew her complaint, suggests that it wasn't an open and shut case it's not not a clear-cut breach of the malicious communications act to misgender someone it's quite ambiguous it's a gray area why do you think the police have become such energetic enforcers of trans orthodoxy when it is clearly a gray area and it's clearly an ongoing national conversation
2: because for two reasons. Firstly, I think they can score sort of easy, woke points with the general public. Secondly, and more concerningly, is that Mermaids conduct a lot of training and diversity courses for many of the police forces around the country. So um, I think a lot of uh, police officers have been on these uh, training courses, and have been, you know, versed in in New Speak in, in the trans-orthodoxy, and they genuinely believe it. So, for example, there was a case of Harry Miller. He didn't quite go as far as I did, but he got a phone call from the police, and he was told sometimes uh, a male, uh, a, f- a female fetus uh, can have a male brain. Absolute cod science and psychology. And when this particular Police officer was contacted by journalists from the Daily Telegraph to ascertain what had happened. He said, "Oh, I, you know, I went on a course. I learned it on a course. Right. And, you know, and and I think people are actually being indoctrinated in into this idea that we can be born in the wrong bodies, and you know, the oppression Olympics. And this is why, um, you know, women need to share their loo's and their changing spaces. Actually, it's about protecting." everybody's uh, freedoms. You know, I think we can exercise some common sense. It's, it's really unfortunate you sometimes get a high profile a trans woman who passes very well saying well would you have a problem with me and you'll lose and um, personally I wouldn't but you know that's not for me to impose my lack of problem on someone else who's more vulnerable and i think actually what we should be doing is having a third space that anybody can use but it seems that the activists aren't happy they they must be it's this validation they must be accepted as females, so they must have the female space
1: okay caroline thank you very much
2: <laughs> thank you
0: if you would like to support quillette please consider becoming a patron head to our patreon page that's patreon.com forward slash quillette